Ladies and gentlemen, this is an auspicious day. What a day! What a fabulous day! It is, in fact, a red letter day. Today marks the dawning of a new episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. Featuring Parker. If at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking till you do succeed. <laughs> and Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Two premier content creators promoting the healthiest brand integrity in the world. Tell them what they've won, Spider. The way I see it, this should be a very dynamite show. Welcome to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. My name is Chris, as with me always is Parker, and we're going to talk about good movies for a change. Uh, we decided we'd talk about the Planet of the Apes series, and not those like 1970s sequels, because, I mean, I didn't even have a chance to like find those. So, we split up the duties. Uh, Parker got to watch Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and War of the Planet of the Apes. You know, these popular recent sequels that everyone loves. And I got to watch the 1968 version, which is an undisputed classic, and the 2001 Tim Burton movie, which is an undisputed bad movie. Uh, we'll start off with the news dump. Alright, let's give it to me. Oh boy. Let me get this list up for you. Chris, do you know what this weekend is? What, was it Comic-Con? It's Comic-Con! San Diego oh. Comic-Con. I've got some news for you. Oh boy. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Chris, there's a new Justice League trailer. I don't care. There's a new Thor Ragnarok trailer. I don't care. There's a new Gotham trailer. I really don't care. There's the new Flash movie is going to be called Flashpoint. Don't care. That's stupid. I don't care. Captain Marvel will take place in the 90s. That I wouldn't know whether it would take place there or not. Ben Affleck might be leaving the role of Batman, but now he's not. Who cares? Uh, definitely not me. Joss Whedon will probably get a co-director credit for Justice League, which means he reshot a lot of it, which means it'll probably be really good. Oh, yeah, Joss Whedon, great director. Here's the DCEU lineup. Over the next few years, we'll get Suicide Squad 2. No. The Batman. No. Shazam. What? Wait, no, they remade that movie with Shaquille O'Neal. Dude, that's just the Mandela effect. You're racist. Justice League Dark. Flashpoint. Wonder Woman 2, Green Lantern and Corps, Batgirl, Sci-Fi Channel's doing a show about Krypton before Stranger Things Season 2 trailer. Marvel's The Defenders trailer. Both Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart will be in the Green Lantern Corps movie in 2020. Michelle Pfeiffer will be in Ant-Man and the, the Wasp Death and Return somebody. of Superman is being adapted as a two-part anime. New season film. of The Walking New Dead. New season of Fear the Walking X-Men Dead. X-Men TV series Todd McFarlane writing and directing a Doctor Spawn. Doom Harley movie. Quinn vs. the Joker with Margot Robbie and Jared Leto attached to Channing Return. Tatum eyed for Dark Universe versus Van Live-action Teen Titans Ghostbusters. Robert Zemeckis might direct the Flash Danny movie. Tatum is still threatening that Gambit Shazam movie. Shazam is the next movie to start it filming. being directed by the guy who did Lights Out, a horror movie that has nothing to do with a little bull heel Shazam and becomes Doctor a big Doctor Who is a lady. Man. That Bumblebee movie is still happening. TV Arias plans to reboot Teen Wolf, even though a it's not Kingsman over Kingsman trailer. A Lego Ninjago trailer. Batman, Gotham by Gaslights, animated feature. Suicide Squad, animated feature. I think that's enough. <laughs> okay, back on planet Earth. Uh, again, we diffied up the duties of watching Planet of the Apes. I got to watch the 1968 version with Charlton Heston. The 1968 version of Planet of the Apes is one of the most watched movies of all time. It's one of the movies where I feel like everyone at some point in their lives watches this movie. Parker, have you seen it? Yes, surprisingly enough. I've seen a real movie that has real acclaim. Well, it's, it's good that you've seen it. Again, it's one of the ones that everyone, like I said, everyone watches it at some point. And it's not just because of the incredible story and not just because Charlton Heston is a joy to watch in it. But the title of the movie to me is really important because it sounds like a really shitty science fiction B-movie. And it's not. It's incredibly well done. It's based on a French book that the author actually described as his worst book and Charlton Heston read the book when he was offered the script and he was just like oh this doesn't look so good but he decided he'd make the movie anyway and you know really make sure that the script was good and it does it well now since everyone's seen it and it came out in 1968 practically 50 years ago 
I think I can go ahead and spoil it. Now, I'm not going to do it explicitly because I'd like to think that we all know the ending, but I will say this, something that's a little bit important about it. Planet of the Apes does kind of give its twist away in the first five minutes. It just spends the rest of the movie denying it. Now, this is really aided by their calculations being off. Like, they'll say, oh, you know, maybe we're X amount of years in the future, or maybe we just got thrown off course. And again, Charlton Heston doesn't believe it, and he's never really uh, rebutted it in any meaningful way by anyone else. And, of course, the way that the title is worded, that really helps a lot. It says Planet of the Apes. It doesn't say Earth except by apes now. And it's not a bad thing that it gives its twist away early. It's just something kind of worth mentioning because it makes us keep thinking, is this Earth? Is this somewhere else? And then at the end of the movie, we get to see which one it really is. Speaking of Charles Neston, oh my god, he is astounding in this movie. And... First of all, shout out, we get to see his glorious naked man ass. Uh, great thing about him, he doesn't react the way that you want him to react. That's really important because I keep thinking, oh, he's going to be Charlton Heston, you know, badass. He's going to smirk whenever he gets a, a good one-liner or he's going to sneer at the bad guy. But that's not what he does. He acts confused, afraid, unsure of what's going on. He, he doesn't glare at his captors or or do all the things that an action movie or science, even science fiction movie audience might expect. He really acts the way that he's supposed to act in this sort of role. Man, every single time I watch this movie, I keep thinking, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about a science fiction movie. But it's more about speculative fiction. What would happen if this sort of thing happened. This is the reason why the genre is worth defending. For all those Mystery Science Theater 3000 movies like Rocket Ship XM or Moon Zero 2, there are still movies like this and The Thing. Speaking of The Thing, the special effects in this movie, there's like, oh, you know, blaster explosion or whatever. It's the makeup in this movie that is seriously incredible. You gotta, like, look at it and you're like, for 1968, that is astounding. The mouth movement works. Uh, you can mostly understand what the actors are saying, and people are forced to act with their own abilities. It's one of the things where Ingrid Bergman was originally approached to be in it. She was a very famous actress back in the 40s, you wouldn't know. And she turned it down for whatever reason, and she wished that she hadn't, because she was like, I, then I wouldn't have to rely on my beauty, I could rely on my natural abilities. One of the other things, it's not just a science fiction slash speculative fiction movie. It at one point turns into a bit of a courtroom drama, which I really love those movies. This one's really unique because the court is very clearly out of order. It's, it's kind of explicit about that. So you have to see how is he going to make his case when the, the deck is stacked against him. And finally, I will say this, it is a family movie. As in, this is something to watch with your grandkids and they're going to ask questions and you can explain, well, this is happening because of this and he wants to do this because of this. I think it's totally worth watching with your kids and I, I love just about everything about this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. Timeless, cinematic classic and that twist ending with the monkey on the Lincoln Memorial. Holy shit, dude. Goosebumps every single time. <sighs> Well, let's get to that. The 2001 version of Planet of the Apes was listed by Tim Burton not as a remake, but a reimagining. A reimagining is like his little way of getting out of it. It's like one of the ones that's in the industry now is a reboot. I guess some of those have worked, and I'm not explicitly against remakes because the 1982 version of The Thing is objectively the best remake of all time. But Planet of the Apes from 1968, I, that is such a classic. I really don't feel like we need a remake. Oh, or sorry, reimagining. It's like reimagining Citizen Kane. We already have a perfectly good one. We don't need another one. Anyway, it starts up, and I'm like, Tim Burton, though. Tim Burton, for, for all his recent missteps, and he has had several, he's not a bad director. The guy still made Ed Wood. Say what you will about him, but he made Ed Wood. And the 1989 version of Batman, which is still a great movie. And Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice and a, a whole host of other ones. He's a guy I can trust. Nevertheless, this has been called one of his worst movies, if not his worst movie. So I, I did gird my loins. 
The credits, which you and I talked about earlier, are long and boring. For most of them, we, we just hear the Danny Elfman soundtrack. So already, that's how you know. It's it's a Tim Burton movie, so you got your Danny Elfman in the background going boom 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 all along as you watch like the history of the apes, at least shown visually. I like that they show it visually instead of talking about it. And it's like drawn on like pottery or something like that, but it just keeps going where there's a bunch of names and music and no one's talking. I'm just like, fuck it, I'm going to play Tekken until this finally loads up. And then we get to Mark Wahlberg playing Leo Davidson. Holy shit. As if you couldn't get that reference, Leo Davidson, as in Lion, Son of David, hilarious on a spaceship and he's working with a monkey and he's doing like experiments with a monkey it's like we're gonna send you into space little guy and then there's some sort of techno babble whatever i'm like oh thank god because they spend so much time on this stupid spaceship the original was a lot faster about it and more to the point it characterized charlton heston immediately it makes you think wow this is a guy who doesn't like humanity at all this is a guy who's got his own principles about things mark Wahlberg, no character Nothing at all. I don't know anything about him. He's not even heroic. He's just a guy. He happens to be in the movie. It's like, wow, look at all these apes talking. What's going on? They don't do that on Earth. And unfortunately, the movie gives away very overtly that he's in the future very on. Because it displays the reading of what time he's in, which I don't even know why you would have that on your spaceship. It's like current year is whatever it just keeps going up and up and up as he goes closer to earth and it's like oh well that was part of the fun of the first movie is you could watch it back and like have a different perspective on it not anymore now it's uh, it's like okay he's in the future and he pretty much knows that so or if he doesn't know that then he doesn't make that clear so just gives away his twist because usually tim burton has a lot of subtlety in his movies oh well that's that's a good point (laughs) So, by giving away that twist, they would need to either not have a twist and have a really good ending, or come up with a whole new twist that's really creative, unique, and good. Anyway, we'll get to that twist when we get to it. So, then we see the apes way too soon. There's supposed to be a build-up. I like it how in the first movie, even though it's titled Planet of the Apes, so you know what's coming... There's this build-up form. They're wandering across, like, the desert, and they see humans, but the humans aren't talking, and then the apes are kind of, like, hidden, and you're like, oh, where are they? Where are they? And then, there they are. And it's like, wow, they look great. And here, it's like, immediately, it's like, oh, hey, apes. Apes are in this movie. We were watching Planet of the Apes. Don't forget it. (laughs) I, I just feel like it's more fun to have them wander around the planet and, like, you know, you can grow more of your character that way because that's what Charlton Essen did. You learn so much about him just from him walking in the desert with his two little buddies. Uh, but to this movie's credit, and this is not just a good thing about the movie, this is a great thing, if not a perfect thing. The makeup. Holy shit. The monkeys look incredible. They look arguably better than Andy Serkis does in the current trilogy. I'll he, fucking fight you. You can stop uh, that right now. Honestly, you gotta you gotta look at it because it it still does a thing that kind of reminds me of the original is that they still are humanoid. You can still see a lot of their facial features. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter is still Helena Bottom Carter, but one of the more controversial casting decisions was Michael Clark Duncan as a big-ass gorilla. And apparently he knew as soon as he got called for Planet of the Apes, he was like, you want me to play a gorilla, don't you? <laughs> and uh, they were just like, yeah, yes. He's, he honestly looks fantastic in that role. Another one is uh, Paul Giamatti. He looks like Paul Giamatti as a monkey. And I know it took them a lot of time to do this makeup, but it really is just so effective. And honestly... I look at it versus like Andy Serkis in that role. I kind of prefer the original one just based on visuals. Honestly, if you if you look back at it, that's one of the things that's worth it's worth defending, unless it's talking about Helena Bottom Carter. Because look, uh, I will never say a bad word about Rick Baker's makeup in any movie, but Andy Serkis looks goddamn incredible. Every monkey in those movies do. But you haven't seen Don, have you? No, I haven't seen you Don. Son of a yet. bitch! You just come at me with these. No. No, okay. Uh, to be fair, I'm probably dead wrong, and someone's going to call me out and laugh Correct. at me. But it's me. I'm the person. 
Well, you know, it's it's worth it because, you know, you do all that stuff with computers, but meanwhile, hardworking people are putting makeup on these people to look incredible. This is a movie that should have won the Oscar for Best Makeup. Instead, we get Suicide Squad. I about to say, do you mean like Oscar-winning Suicide Squad? How could I ever possibly forget? Because I won't let you until I'm dead. Uh, I wish I was dead. Same. Anyway, the, the makeup looks incredible. I'm not sure if I've seen better, like... I, I, won't, I don't know if I would call it what, monster movie makeup or whatever, because they're not monsters, they're apes. But it really does look incredible. And it's one of the things that made me feel like this is a Tim Burton movie, because it's A, it's typical stable of actors, sons, Johnny Depp. But the, the makeup really went in with it. It really felt like it was part of his vision. And I, I really have to admit, I did like it. Now... There is a problem with this makeup. The problem with the makeup is that there's like that, like that the mouth part sort of like comes forward. This is really mostly noticeable with uh, Helena Bottom Carter. It's it kind of impairs their speech. So, soldiers like sound like this, <laughs> and you kind of just have to interpret that that's what they were going for. Now, perhaps I mean that is how Charlton Heston sounded at that point. Oh, I mean, yeah, can't he blame was like the makeup. Okay, so perhaps... (laughs) I think the decision to have the monkeys be mostly unintelligible was an intentional one, rather than one born out of necessity. But it does make me wonder. Tim Burton, after the movie, he got bad rap critics, didn't like it, audiences didn't like it. He said, oh, it's not my fault, it's the studio's fault. And at first, I read that before I saw the movie, and I was like, oh, what an excuse maker. I watched it, this might be one of the ones where I'd lay the blame at the mantle of the studio, because this is a key part where you should go back and overdub the lines. It wouldn't be that hard. It, in fact, it'd be very easy. Just go back and, you know, g- give them, like, a line where I can understand them. I can understand if it was intentional, because I think they were going hard, a little too hard, for realism. If monkeys develop the ability to speak it would be impaired somewhat just by the way that their tongues and teeth and jaws work. It, it couldn't possibly sound as good as a human. That's the reason why parrots don't sound like Laurence Olivier. They're, they're, it's impossible with the way that their jaws work. They can talk, but it'll be in a sort of parrot dialect. Same thing with the, the apes in this movie, which I, I keep going back and forth between monkeys and apes, which is a source of contention in this movie, but fuck it, apes aren't real. So, well, talking apes aren't real. I'm just going to leave it no, as no, apes yeah, aren't you can leave real. That. Yeah, apes aren't real. So It's funny because that talking thing, it's like done perfectly in the new trilogy. Because it's like a low guttural grunt that it sounds like a real strain for them to have to do. Boy, I'll get to that one in a bit. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> e- either way, even if this was uh, born out of necessity from the studio rushing them along because apparently that's what they do to the studio like really force them to rush this movie and you can tell or if it was like yes this is how apes would talk it's still a bad decision because the dialogue is hard to understand it doesn't matter if it's realistic if the little mermaid went for realism then all of the underwater scenes would be in pitch black because sunlight can't reach that far underwater realism has to be sacrificed at some point or another now, let's get to some of the individual monkeys. Obviously, Michael Clark Duncan is a joy in this movie, and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to actually talk against Paul Giamatti, unless we're talking about Lady in the Water. That's indefensible. But in this movie, he's really good. I I have to admit, I love him in this movie. Every single time he's on screen, he gets better and better. He, he becomes a bit of a comic relief guy. He's funny as comic relief, although the lines written for him are not very good. But he's, he's kind of one of those characters where I keep hoping for him to be on screen because I, I kind of want to see what he's going to say or do next. Uh, Tim Roth. Boy, Tim Roth is weird. Tim Roth plays Thade, and he was one of the ones that everyone talks about in this movie because he's the villain. Uh, he actually does play a monkey. Everyone else is an ape. I'm pretty sure he's just a monkey. Uh, maybe he's a chimpanzee or something like that. And... He's really little. I don't know how tall Tim Roth is. I'm going to Google that right now. Tim Roth height. I hope you hit on the part where all the apes will just talk normally. Like, oh, yes, I'm a monkey. And they go, ah! And start, like, jumping around. Don't worry. I'm going to get to that. (laughs) Okay, Uh, good. That's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Tim Roth is 5'7", and unfortunately, (laughs) it kind of shows in this movie. This is going to be insulting if Cam ever listens to it, but he's not threatening because he's so little. 
he's he's extremely threatening in his manner and the way that he talks and in the words that he uses and in like the way that the camera shoots him it really is intended to make him an incredibly intimidating monkey and i bet if i was like eight years old maybe i would find him scary or maybe like four years old but i just don't call him scary because he's just more weird it's it's not just his character being like it's the the idea of Thade is that he really hates humans. That's it. That's there, there's not really right. much behind it. He just really hates humans. But he's like really violent about it and really again really weird. At one point, he opens up Mark Wahlberg's mouth to search for a soul in his body. That's not scary. That's just like what are you doing? And it's not okay. I can do like a really good Tim Roth this Thade impression. It's like the humans. I'm sick of them walking around this planet. And that he's just like that for the entire movie. But the main thing that no one else, as far as I've seen, has picked up on is that he walks really weird. Remember Captain Jack Sparrow in the in the fucking Pirates movies? How he like sure kind of do. walks around with like his hands out like that? It's not quite like that. It's more like this it's this kind of this loping gait where it's like it looks like he just dumped ass and he's trying to get it down his pant leg and he's just like not quite like a cowboy but his legs and hips go back and forth it's it looks so dumb and again i'm watching it trying not to laugh i'm like maybe this is going for realism if maybe this is how chimpanzees walk on two legs it looks so dumb it is like the least scary thing i've ever seen uh, who else is who else is the one? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Going back to Tim Roth, do you want to uh, talk about the Harry Potter thing? Oh uh, yeah, we should. Uh, they, uh, there's two things I want to talk about Tim Roth before I go forward. Thank you for mentioning that. So yeah, Tim Roth, he's a really big actor. He uh, just a few well, years. Well, I mean, earlier, not physically. <laughs> no, certainly not physically. Uh, just a few years earlier, he had been in Pulp Fiction. People loved him, and before that, he was in Reservoir Dogs. People were like, oh yeah, Tim Roth, great actor, and uh, he's also British. You can't tell in this movie because doesn't matter what you sound like when you're doing your Batman voice. And he was approached with two options. Uh, remake, Planet of the Apes, great director, Tim Burton, might have heard of him. Or this uh, new little startup, we're going to do a book adaptation, it's called Harry Potter. We'd like you to play a major role in it, Severus Snape, who's going to be uh, one of the most famous characters in literature history. And he's like, hmm, kind of a coin flip, I can only go with one. So he went with Planet of the Apes. Established <laughs> and property and director versus silly kids book. Exactly. An easy decision, Chris. What could possibly go wrong? So I'm How sure. How many nights do you think that. he just sat alone in a dark room, staring out the window? Not as many as I have, but uh, he's. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he regretted that decision. But I know for sure one of the decisions that he regretted was working with Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston plays Tim Roth's father in this in a sort of a cameo role. And I guess one of those things where art imitates life, Charlton Heston is sick and dying and old as shit and has a gun. <laughs> Herein lies a point of contention. Charlton Heston, as I'm sure you're aware, was a spokesman for the NRA, very well known for saying, I've heard of them. <laughs> saying very slowly, the way that Bill Belichick said, no days off, uh, he said, from my cold, dead hands while holding a big-ass rifle. So... Uh, very much into gun rights. Uh, Tim Roth, I don't know if you know this one, because I didn't know this until I uh, looked up the trivia on IMDb, is very much anti-gun. He uh, does not support the Second Amendment, although he's British, so they don't have that over there, I suppose. And uh, <laughs> he was heated when he found out that Charlton Heston was such a big NRA guy. I was like, he's been president of the NRA for decades. How are you just now learning about this? So, in the scene... Uh, Charles Nesson's dying, and it's it's so stupid. At the end of it, he even says, "Damn them, damn them all to hell." I was Gross. just like, "Yeah, that guy just died." You're throwing out this little joke of a line. What the fuck are you doing? And in his dying moments, he gives uh, Tim Roth's character like a little blaster gun or something like that. And uh, Tim Roth now has the power of artillery, which apparently the apes have never had before. So this is like a really powerful thing. It's like in The Warriors. The one guy in the city with a gun has a lot of power. So Tim Roth got really pissed off about this. And after the movie, he's like, if I'd known that Charles and Heston was so into guns, I wouldn't have done the scene. Right, love? 
Right, okay, because I, I, you know I don't like guns. And I'm like, hold up. Now, Tim Roth has never been a particularly intelligent man, but I, I think in that moment he forgot he's playing the bad guy. If you want to portray guns as bad, how about putting one in the hands of a bad guy? Like yourself, Thade is like obviously evil. Moreover, th that scene isn't about the, you know, the stipulations of the NRA. It has nothing to do with them. You're working with one of the greatest actors in history. I'd hope that you can put politics aside for your 16 second scene. It doesn't last long at all. He, Honestly, Tim Roth kind of being a bit of a baby about this. I'm not just saying this because I'd love to work with Charlton Heston, but uh, man, at this point, he really could have made a I took that gun from his cold dead hands joke. But Tim Roth famously never using guns in Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. Oh, Fucking of course, idiot. yeah. And I don't even remember. I think I kind of lost interest uh, towards the uh, towards the climax. I don't remember if they'd actually uses that gun well. Who could care? Uh, not me. Fucking there five foot is... seven standing next to Michael Clark Duncan. Who could give a shit? Oh, uh, speaking of giving a shit, before I get to the main monkey I want to talk about, I gotta talk about the monkey sex scene. Hell yeah, son. I was waiting now, for it. Now, there is one of these in the movie, and how could we possibly forget it? There's a, there's a dinner scene. Mark Wahlberg's working as a slave because, oh, humans are slaves in this world. Political commentary. And... There's this really big fat monkey, and you could just tell he's played by like a Tim Burton veteran. I'm pretty sure he was, and he's married to uh, what I guess is supposed to be a hot, young, sexy monkey, who also I'm pretty sure Tim Burton veteran. Again, if I I'm not gonna look it up on IMDb, but I'm pretty sure they've been in other Tim Burton versions. But just, you think it's the like fat him. guy from Beetlejuice? I'm pretty sure they were. I think Go both of them were at Beetlejuice. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, I kind of liked the fat actor, uh, or the fat, the fat uh, monkey before that, because I, I liked him because of his voice. It, it just sounded like a really good voice to have. He was like, it's so nice to get away from the bustling city and the politics. And I was just like, I like this guy as like a fat monkey politician sort of thing. And then he lies down on the bed. And uh, he's sitting there amongst the blankets and the pillows and stuff. The canopy overhead. And uh, his hot, young, sexy wife is coming down the stairs uh, with like this sort of like this like thin veneer of a veil all about her. And you're just like, oh, I really don't want to see this. She gets closer to him and you check the rating on the back of the box. It says it's PG-13. And you're looking around at the kids next to you at the theater like, are we really going to do this? And she stands over, and she's a lot smaller than he is, too. She looks like a, a very small monkey, whereas he's, like, gigantic. And she she stands over him. Like, she's standing, straddling over him. You're like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And she starts screaming. She starts screaming and, like, <laughs> and like banging her fists out in the air like she's listening to Slayer. And it's just like, wah, wah, wah. And, and the guy starts, like... This, that, like, like that low roll like, oh, 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 and you're just like what the hell am I watching I, I, and thank god it gets interrupted by a chase scene and they both jump way up in the air that, there's no way that fat monkey can make that jump I don't even know how that happens like why or food they just go up in the air and that happened it was like 45 seconds of the movie that I'm never going to get back from my life now correct me if I'm wrong do they jump up and grab a chandelier yeah they grab a oh, chandelier incredible there's one thing I respect about Tim Burton. It's that he gets these kid-friendly properties like Planet of the Apes and Batman. He's like, oh, you think you're going to take your kid to this movie, huh? Well, guess what, motherfucker? Uh, yeah, Here's that... monkey sex. Here's everything with the penguin. Fuck you. It's <laughs> incredible. So that scene happens, much to my chagrin. And uh, we're introduced to... Helena Bonham Carter. Hell yeah, now, son. Let's hear it. If I remember correctly, because I got so much to say, but she's just, mm, just had to take off my glasses for this. She's, <laughs> I think this is Helena Bonham Carter's first ever Tim Burton movie. I think actually this is the one that made them get married or not married, uh, domestic partners or whatever. They bought houses next to each other. And God, of course she's they did. very clearly, I, I don't know if I would say she's sexualized because she, uh, how do I put this? She very clearly wants to fuck Mark Wahlberg. 
Yeah, oh, that I, monkey I, I, is DTF. Don't is she sexualized? She is trying to fuck that whole movie. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't clear. She plays a monkey in this, and hers is the makeup that's actually the worst because it's like the the jutting face sort of thing. It looks like DW in in Arthur. It, it's it just haunting. doesn't look good at all. Whereas everyone else's makeup looks really great. You think back honestly, if you look back at some of the other makeup, Tim Roth's makeup looks fantastic. Her makeup is just like, oh, she is wearing makeup. She is supposed to. I when we watch Planet, she's supposed to look like an ape. Oh. Wait a second. Why did I watch two bad Mark Wahlberg movies back to back? I had better not watch <laughs> The Happening next week. The, no joke. I was just watching that on TV before he texted me. The Happening? Yeah, it was on cable. <laughs> oh my god. Right at the end where he's just talking from the other side of the house. Oh, that fucking movie. Movie's incredible. Heck, guess what we're doing next week. Oh, god damn it. Anyway, Helena Bottom Carter isn't bad at first because she plays like a monkey scientist. She's like, oh, we need to understand more about these humans. They may be intelligent. And hers is one of the ones where her, her speech is really affected by her makeup. It's, I have to admit, it, I hate using this turn of phrase. It's like, one of the ones that people will criticize uh, Jeff Goldblum for is that he's Jeff Goldblum in every movie. Uh, the have to understand about chaos theory is that the aliens are going to attack us in Independence Day, and I'll help. I'm turning into a uh, 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 fly. Ook, ook, I am a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> he would have been great in this movie, first of all. Incredible. But, yeah, sometimes there are actors who are just like, yeah, I'm just being an actor. I, I don't like that criticism. I think that isn't fair a lot of the time. Here, Helena Bonham Carter is being Helena Bonham Carter. She is at her most Helena Bonham Carter-esque in this movie. And she's doing it through the makeup. I didn't know you could do that. Like the the like the sort of squinting of the eyes every once in a while, the sort of like sultry voice that she's doing, which I don't want to happen. This is the one where I gotta take the side of the studio. Apparently the studio said, dude, you really gotta cut down on the interspecies romance that you're trying to push here. We are trying not to see that. Apparently, they did not get their way because it's in this movie way more than I expected and way more than, than people were telling me about. She is trying to make monkey love with him at every single opportunity. But then she just starts to grate on my fucking nerves. She's got this really arrogant know-it-all attitude and this is the one that you want me to talk about and here it is. The random shrieking? What the fuck is going on with that? So Mark Wahlberg has a... a little pretty little blonde number kind of like in the first movie i'm not sure if i like the way these movies treat women but it's probably just me like thinking too much about it it doesn't get any better i i'm not surprised uh i actually was curious about that but you know we'll see uh in the first movie charlton heston had um a silent uh wonder why i keep the woman silent uh (laughs) human potential mate and she is gorgeous and uh Obviously, Charles Ness is just slightly more gorgeous, but uh, she, you, you really don't know anything about her because she can't talk. Problem in this remake, the humans can all talk. Why, why can they all talk? Why couldn't they have banded together against these giant monkeys now? That you'd think that they'd be able to figure something out. I, I, I don't know why the humans can talk. It kind of ruins the movie. Yeah, anyway, they're just locked in a bamboo cage. They're like, oh, fuck, I guess we're slaves forever now. Oh, they don't even say that. They only talk when Mark Wahlberg comes by. So this Gosh, pretty little just, blonde thing. He just put his shoulder into it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys, we can do this. I've got to... Anyway, uh, the, the the blonde <laughs> girl. I was thinking, what, what's that movie? I was, Oh, yeah, the teddy bear. All right, I'll make sure to edit back. I got a little talking teddy bear. He, he knows the way, guys. Uh, the, the <laughs> On the last night, girl. guys, you just throw your shoulder into it. Optimus <laughs> told me. Beast's going to get us out of here. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, since we're doing a little aside, it was totally yeah. the fat guy from Beetlejuice, just so you know. Oh, I knew it. I bet the I bet the wife was in it too. Uh, <laughs> thank you for letting me. I knew it. Um, you can sleep tonight now. Uh, God willing. The blonde girl, sixth time I've tried to say this, who I'm pretty sure doesn't have a name. I think just human captive six. Uh, she's the daughter of Chris Christopherson, who's in the movie and then he's not. Uh, she, she barely has a line in this movie. She has like two lines. Uh, She's just kind of, like, there, and her job is to gape awkwardly at the camera whenever Helena Bonham Carter and Mark Wahlberg share a moment. 
and uh, she gets like two lines, and one of the lines she's like arguing with Helena Bonham Carter. She's like, "Why should we trust you? You're an ape." And like Helena Bonham Carter's like, "Why should we trust you? You're a human." And then uh, the blogger was like, "Well, we don't keep other people in cages." And uh, Helena Bonham Carter has the magnificent retort of just screaming at her, she did, like this <laughs> high pitched monkey scream right in her face, with like her eyes bugging out and everything. You're like, "Geez, what in the fuck are you doing?" It's so nuts. Uh, mm. it, it doesn't work in this movie. I don't know why she does it. And then it gets even worse because at one point, uh, this is one of the ones I remember specifically from my childhood having seen this. Yes, I did have a miserable childhood. Thank you for asking. Same. <laughs> uh, they have to ford a river, right? And they don't have a wagon that, like an Oregon trail, so they just have to go across on horses, which apparently the horses can support the weight of, a, of an ape. Fine, whatever. And... But Mark Wahlberg's horse goes off. He's like, wait, horse, come back. Come on, this is nothing like spirit. And he has to carry her across the river on his back. And she's going, fuck... Oh, I almost said she's going ape over this river. Oh, you sack of garbage. Yeah, I might actually edit that out. That's just so bad. No, you fucking keep that in your shame. (laughs) All right. Anyway, she's going bananas over this river. Fuck you. And she has to carry him across, and, and Mark Wahlberg's like, come on, and like, I'll just hold you the entire way. And she's screaming the entire time. I'm, I, I'm not even going to do, like, the screaming. Like, my roommates will break down my door and, like, kill me over it. Because, like, it's just constantly screaming in his ear that she's just so scared of water because apes can't swim. They'll drown. And finally, they get across, and she's turned him into a monkey's uncle. And it's, she goes back to flirting with him. Damn it. Listen, I'm not going to stop. I'm so sick of you. <laughs> she's, the, the flirting is really way too much. She's like, why does she save him? That's a fair question. Uh, Mark, Michael Clark Duncan says, keep an eye on this one. Uh, he's rowdy or, or something. And Thade keeps wanting to bring him back. Like, I've got some questions for him. And she says to him, like, you're not usual. And the way that she says, the way that she's looking up at him, I'm like, she has made those same eyes at Johnny Depp in the past, like, seven movies that they've made together. I know how this one ends. And and they keep saying all this. Again, Mark Wahlberg doesn't have a character. He's not special. The, the only reason that he's special in this movie is because they told him to be. So it's a deus ex machina, and it doesn't work. Oh, man, I can't get over Tim Roth being as little as he is. It's just so completely not threatening. It's another one where he'll just start screaming, too. And he jumps around way too much. I'm sure monkeys have some ups, but oh my god. There's a moment in the movie where, like... The, the humans take their horses or something and he just starts jumping up and back and forth and stuff like that again on wires and stuff it's not scary or threatening or intimidating or even cool it's just like I'm sorry Michael Clark Duncan I'm not mad at you I'm mad at the humans and we're just like oh that was anger I, I thought you, you just got really excited about something I, I, I had no idea what they were trying to do with him the entire time when he started hopping around, did it say autistic screeching on the bottom of the screen? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It, it, it was basically like the same thing. So, anyway, there's a big battle. Normals. Now, I, Get do you out. Remember, do you remember the trailer for this movie? Vaguely. The trailer was the best part of the movie, uh, besides the makeup. Because the trailer it was short? Really, well, yeah, it was short. Uh, the, the trailer looked really cool. The trailer is just like, oh my goodness, this might live up to the original because the the Danny Elfman score was like orchestral they had like a choir so bah, 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 for all the other stuff and there's like these monkeys attacking each other and the monkeys are attacking the humans and there's horses and stuff and you're like oh Mark Wahlberg he's he's a good actor Tim Burton he's never made a bad movie yet and mm-hmm. where could they possibly go wrong the battle is very much like the opening of Transformers 5 I I had a hard time telling who was fighting whom, and this is one where they were monkeys fighting humans. It shouldn't be that confusing. It was just really boring and uninteresting. At one point, the the, the actual monkey from the spaceship, he comes back and is worshipped as a god, because of course. And then, for some reason, somehow, it's so stupid, and he get like... Fucking hell the bottom Carter hiding her face behind a veil. She talks about their history and you're just like, stop. 
doing that? It's just so gross. And he, he decides to leave, and he leaves behind the blonde chick. I was like, at least bring her with you. You gotta repopulate somewhere. And uh, he goes back to Earth at his time, and he gets back. Yes. And I'll say it. he goes to the Lincoln Monument, or yes. Lincoln Memorial, and who's sitting on the throne? It's a statue of General Thade. He gets arrested by gorillas in police costumes. Yeah, it's a <laughs> so very, good. very strange one. And this is one of the parts of the movie that was really bad rapped by critics. Uh, Tim Roth had no idea what was going on. I was like, I, I don't know what's going on here. This is not what I signed up for. I wish I could have been in a little movie about magic wands. And, you know, I, I look at all the critics who said, yeah, what the fuck was up with the ending? At least the original one made sense and they didn't have to spell it out for you. That was what made it so good. This one, they don't give you any sort of details about it, and thus you have no idea what's going on. I have a somewhat hot take on this one. It makes sense when you start to understand the studio interference. The studio rushed them along before they could give any sort of explanation about this. They could have possibly explained this ending with a shot of no more than three seconds. You could explain this ending by having a shot of General Thade getting to a spaceship before Mark Wahlberg. This is one of the ones where Helena Bonham Carter proffered this theory, the idea that maybe General Thade got back before Mark Wahlberg. So that is the ending that I think that Tim Burton was going for, the idea that General Thade gets back there before everything else and is able to change history. Now, whether that was actually what he's going for, I'm not sure. I'm not a genius. That's just my idea of it, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's not going to make the movie any better because, yeah, this is a bad movie. It's not a horrendous movie, though, although it's one of those issues of diminishing standards. You did make me watch Transformers 5. So all of a sudden, this movie seems like, you know, creme de la creme, one of the best movies ever. I mean, I could have watched this again rather than Transformers 5. I'll watch this three times in a row rather than Transformers 5. There's action. Oh, oh, that's not going to ahead of ourselves. Yeah, that's that's recorded forever. There's action. There's good music. uh, The acting is mostly pretty good. General Thade is ridiculous, but at least Tim Roth is putting his all into it. Paul Giamatti is in this movie, and that is almost always a plus, unless you watch Lady in the Water. And Helena Bonham Carter is obnoxious and annoying, but at least that it's kind of like a fun obnoxious annoying. It's not like in Transformers 5 where everyone's just boring besides Anthony Hopkins just being really weird, and even a boring kind of weird. She's she's bad in this movie, real, real bad, and most of it's the character, most of it's the, the forced romance going on, but... I, I gotta admit, it's it's something where it's kind of like fun to criticize it. You know, I had fun saying, God, you're so terrible, you know? And, I mean, the action's fine enough as it is. I like the, the set design, too. I think that they did, I don't know, if, I, I guess I would call it better than the original, but only because you had access to more money, more special effects, and of you course, heard it first, vision. better than the original. Only because of the makeup and the set design. 2001 Planet of the Apes, better than the original. That's all for this week. (laughs) Nowhere near in terms of quality. In terms of quality, the original 1968 version is a classic that should still be watched today. I mean, this this should be like a form of literature. People should go back and read this. People have to have a sense of historicity. People have have to have a sense of recall. You, You can't just know that, oh, there is a movie called Planet of the Apes. No, people should really watch it because the original had a message. I'm thinking of a book I'm reading right now. It's called Dangerous Visions, and it's edited by Harlan Ellison. And there's a story in there by a different author, and it's called Shall the Dust Worship Thee? And it's the shortest story in there, as far as I know. It's only like two pages. That's the one that always makes me think of Planet of the Apes. That's the one that maybe I'll read it at the end of this episode. It's a very, very good story, and that's the way, it, it gives me a message. Now, you had a different assignment. You had to watch the ones with James Franco. So I have a question for you about this movie, and then a memory I have from my childhood. Alright, let's go. Would you say in the original movie, Charlton Heston pretty much had the movie on his shoulders and had to carry most of it? I I don't know that I'd agree. I, I think that uh, some of the supporting characters did a really good job. I, I liked the other monkeys in the movie. Or, <laughs> it's other monkeys in the movie. I liked the monkeys in the movie, in addition to Charlton Heston. And it was important having the other characters along with him. 
I, I guess maybe mostly on his shoulders because he does such a good job that it's, it's not even like he's carrying him on his shoulders. It's like he's carrying the movie like a suitcase. He doesn't have any trouble carrying it. But I, I will say that the other characters are important. I think Cornelius in the first movie is one who does a decent job of carrying a certain amount of load of it, as well as the villain monkey. But go ahead. How would you compare Kate Yeager's performance to that? Oh, boy. He... Mm, Katie. I've been waiting an hour to slip that in. <laughs> Fucking hell. Mark Wahlberg uh, cannot carry this movie, and I think that is a good point to bring up, is that he is not someone who could have carried this movie. This is a movie who could have gone to anyone. You could have put Tom Cruise in this, it would have been better. Leonardo DiCaprio, Chris O'Donnell, Daniel Day-Lewis. Can you imagine Daniel Day-Lewis? I just know that at some point, I'm pretty sure I looked this up, I'm pretty sure that Daniel Day-Lewis was one of the people that they tapped to be in this movie as General Thade. It's, it's going to be like every single bad movie that you make me watch is going to be like, at one point, Daniel Day-Lewis was supposed to be in it. <laughs> I would give anything to watch Daniel Day-Lewis pretend to be a monkey. Oh, he would just, live in the fucking woods for three years to study you, them. Can you just imagine it's like, cut, no, your line actually goes, then he just hurls poop at the guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, just imagine him grow, just growing hair out all over his body walking around South Hollywood. I don't use makeup. <laughs> he just has monkey fur glue to his body. <laughs> fucking animal. Just I living off of bananas. I remember watching this as a kid when it came on cable, and I remember, like, it was kind of boring, but I had it on, and then it gets to the line where Mark Clark Duncan says, get your stinking hands off, paws off me, you damn dirty human, and I shut it off. <laughs> so I didn't know about the ending of this movie for years, because I was just like, nah, done, done right here. All the fucking callbacks to that first movie are so cringe-inducing and embarrassing. They really are, and one of the reasons about that is people don't see... This is, again, this is why you actually have to watch the stinking movie, is that the original has the famous line, Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. That's not like, oh, Charlton Heston's such a badass, oh, he's so cool, oh, he's such a rebel. No, those are the first words spoken by a man to an ape. And what's more is there's a lot of build-up for it. If you just go into the original 1968 version just expecting him to say that but as soon as a monkey grabs him by the shoulder, no, that's not how it happens. You, you remember, Charlton Heston gets shot in the neck, so he can't talk for a really long time. He has to try to spell out his words and stuff. That's a really cool, entertaining bit. And then finally, it's like at the climax of the movie, that's when he says it. That's why it's a cool line. It's the same thing with like, Oh, you, you, you maniacs! You blew it up. And it's like he's not saying it in like a cool way. Like, oh, there wasn't some sort of nuclear explosion or whatever. He's looking at the remains of Earth. He's looking at at the destiny of humans. He's looking at everything he was talking about with humans, the iniquity that they have, that they will eventually destroy themselves. That's what he's talking about. So those lines mean something. In the two thousand one remake, saying, "Damn them." Damn them all to hell. It means practically nothing. It's just a callback and it's kind of insulting. Kind of, you say? Well, I say kind of because I'm looking at my notes and my notes just say the movie isn't really that bad, but that's probably just because I watched Transformers 5 and I'm thinking, yeah, the Harriet Tubman scene, that's insulting. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, have you seen any movies in this new trilogy? Uh, no, I have them downloaded. I haven't, I haven't got around to seeing them yet. You sack of garbage. I know. So how much detail do you want me to go into here? Do you want me to just like be brief on each of them? or? Yeah, it's t that's totally fair. Just you know, give your thoughts about each of them and tell me at the end how you feel the trilogy works, not only as a modern trilogy, but also in the Planet of the Apes timeline. Oh, dude, that timeline. Don't get me fucking started. Oh, well, Because uh, that first movie movies. takes place, like, what, thousands of years in the future? Yeah. We got ways to go before we catch up to that one. Yeah, it's not so much about the timeline, about how you think it works in the Planet of the Apes franchise, if they're, if they're worthy successors. Alright, so. We start with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which you are not familiar with. No. It's a, it's a weird one. It's a B-movie, pretty much. Kind of like people think the original is, but it has a shit ton of money behind it. And James Franco, for some reason guess he was just the actor of the day. 
he keeps taking all these weird movies that he clearly doesn't want to be in, and it's very apparent he has no interest in being in this movie whatsoever. Well, I'm a James Franco apologist, too, and it's just, it's not good. I mean, I am, too, but I, I'm glad that uh, he got this one. This was a popular movie, though, because I remember, I think I was working at the movie theater at this time with Josh, and this is one of the ones that they kept coming back to see. I mean, it's pretty good fun. It's not incredible or high art or anything. Like I said, it's a B-movie with an A-movie budget, but it's a lot of fun. James Franco's trying to make an Alzheimer's drug. They test it on monkeys. Monkeys get smart. Monkeys go to Brian Cox's monkey prison, where Draco Malfoy abuses the monkeys. Are you serious? I didn't know he was in this. <laughs> yeah. Draco Malfoy gets electrocuted by monkeys, so uh, if you're looking for a movie to watch this weekend, I'd probably start there. That's actually not a bad idea. I might do that. The movie ends with this huge escape scene with all the monkeys getting the Alzheimer's stuff sprayed on them so they're all smart now. Crossing the Golden Gate Bridge, a standoff with like the army. It's pretty great, honestly. It's pretty dumb, but it's pretty great. And it ends with Caesar, the, the monkey, I, I guess played by Andy Serkis, uh, finally speaking words, right? That happens about halfway through, and it's actually... Never mind. It teases a really shitty callback, and then it immediately... Actually, you know, I can't even ruin the moment because it just happens midway through. Okay, I'll I'll be ready for it. I, I've seen the ending like a million times because I had to clean up that theater. Nice, nice. So should I just skip that part entirely? Yeah, it's, that's okay. Yeah, you don't have to tell me about it. Uh, or people at home because because it's actually low key except for me. My favorite part of that movie is when he talks for the first time. Okay, so moving on to, I guess, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I always felt like Dawn should have been the first one, because Dawn is like the beginning of a new day. Yeah, to this day it still makes no sense to me why they named it this way. Oh. But Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I rewatched it right before War came out. It's It might be one of my favorite movies of this decade, if we're being honest here. Because it's literally, it takes this like silly little B-movie, it's like, alright. Because the thing is, at the very, very first one, at the, like, the end credits, it teases like, Oh no, the outbreak is spreading. What's going to happen, guys? And most other movies, I'd say 99% of movies, Dawn would be the outbreak happening. That's the pre-credit scene. There's just a little intro like, hey, just about everyone's dead now. Now we're going to go live with the monkeys for a while. Which already right there, I'm in. I think it's like 5%, something like that, of humanity's left alive because they had an immunity to it. So already we're down to like no people and monkey tribes that are hyper intelligent, and that's what you want right there. I'm down with that, yeah. I love it because you can literally describe it as a Shakespearean tragedy, but with apes. Does that okay. does that tickle your fancy any? What does well, that do yeah. for you? I guess I'll be watching that instead of Dunkirk this weekend. Why not both, Chris? Well, well, a man only has so many hours in a day. Now, moving on to the final one, War for the Planet of the Apes. I like how you just spent like a minute talking about those movies. I just poured out my heart and soul over the 2001 version <laughs> of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Look, oh. you told me I didn't have to watch it, and that was your mistake. That I deserve it. Uh, Honestly, may- it's hard to talk about Dawn because there's a lot of like betrayal. and I mean, it's a tragedy. You know, horrible things are going to happen, and you spend the whole movie like, oh god, you're so close. And there's both sides fucking each other over, but I can't spoil it. But you you did make a good point that it's one of the best movies of the past decade, which means I, I really should give it the time and I will watch it. Again, moving on to War, uh, this is an important one. Again, I haven't seen it yet. I, I would like to see it at some point, but this is a big deal. If you're going to do this for Planet of the Apes, it really does have to be a big-time movie. The, the thinking here is two big things one humanity has to lose it humanity has to either blow themselves up or i guess in this case lose a war with the monkeys either way that's something i want to see the other thing is that caesar or whoever's leading the monkeys right now really ought to erase any sort of trace of humanity and you know just vilify them for all of history so that they're not thought about anymore as uh, time goes on and then they're just thought about uh, not as a dominant species but as slaves does that actually happen in this movie do you want your first disappointment no go ahead the war isn't between the apes and the people what 
Yeah, the movie keeps, like, all the trailers tease this huge, all-out, massive war between the apes and humans, and that's not how the movie plays out. You serious? Yeah. So is that it... En- that ending is, uh, it's... That third act takes some turns I don't quite appreciate. It, is, is, is the war between humans and humans? Yeah. I, okay, that's... I, I think I can defend that just on the idea, because that was always my thinking when I watched the original, is that it, it's like, I have no mouth and I must scream. Finally, you know, war got too big and people are just blowing each other up to just wipe humanity off the face of the earth. Yeah, like, I didn't hate it because I look at the world around me and go, yeah, we are most certainly going to all murder each other. Especially I mean, living yeah. in the South. I mean, any day now, it's going to it's gonna get bad in the streets down here, man. Any Dude, day I, I live near D.C. You, you know where people are coming first. Oh, one day my fat, middle-class white ass is getting thrown in the streets and there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, but that's a, time, that's a story for another time, Chris. Yeah, that is. Let's uh, stay positive here with Planet yeah. of the so the weird thing about this movie is when I came out of it I thought it was five stars incredible amazing movie amazing trilogy but Chris why don't you tell me your experience with the Dark Knight Rises to shed some light on how I felt this is gonna be one of I can't believe the shit you make me do Um, this is going to be one of the more embarrassing confessions on the movie but when I first saw The Dark Knight Rises, not The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, I thought that was one of the best movies ever made. I thought it was better than The Dark Knight. It was, for a long time, my number two movie ever. Like, better than Leon the Professional, better than Seven Samurai, better than It's a Wonderful Life, better than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I just loved, loved, loved that movie. I saw it three days in a row. I was just like, yeah, this is great. This is what comic book movies should be. And then I thought more about it. And I thought more about it, and I, I talked to my friends about it, and I read some reviews about it, and I started to think more and more. I was like, oh, this really, when you think about it, it really isn't that good. And even the, the stuff that people complained about that I was forgiving about, it still sort of piled up in my mind. And, and the stuff that I loved upon a rewatch wasn't that good. I still love the trilogy, and I honestly, I still think The Dark Knight Rises is a good, maybe even great movie but nowhere near as I originally thought it was. I I was definitely way too hyped up because I was just so in the moment. That's pretty much word for word. You can take out Dark Knight Rises and put War for the Planet of the Apes there. I I work overnights now, so I have a horrific sleeping schedule. I woke up like in the middle of the afternoon, went and saw it, came home, went back to sleep. Woke up, thought about it for a while, and for about the entire second half, every single plot point falls apart the second you think of it. It's kind of like Prometheus, where you're like, oh, that was pretty cool, and then you start to analyze it, and you just feel it falling apart right in the palm of your hands. There's nothing you can do about it. And it hurt me. It hurt my soul, because I loved it so, so much upon getting out of it. It's one of those things where I, I kind of fear that happening with movies that I really like. I almost get nervous about it just because of that Dark Knight Rises experience. I remember walking into... Um, or rather, walking out of Mad Max Fury Road the second time I saw it in theaters. I was like okay, I still love this, right? Like, I'm going through every single scene in the movie. Yeah, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. It all works together. I'm going through. I I started, like, formulating my defense if I had to, like, confront a friend who didn't like it or if I I read a review that bad-wrapped any part of it. And luckily, I came out of that one unscathed. I I have the Blu-ray of it. I watch it every once in a while. That's still one of the best movies I've ever seen. Probably the best action movie I've ever seen, period. But I, I, I start to get a little bit nervous now if a movie's too good. Like, one of the things that's getting really great reviews right now is Dunkirk. I'm going to go see it. I, I have to admit, I'm probably going to go. Like, I'm going to go in there biased. I'm hoping that I'll be able to keep a, a clean perspective about this. Because this happens a lot. You know, you'll go in there and it's just so well done. But luckily, this, this doesn't happen too often. I mean, it's not like you would do this with a Star Wars movie. That's a low blow, and I don't appreciate it. That's uncalled for. I'm being vulnerable in this moment. You bring Rogue One back into my life. You made me mention on a podcast how I love The Dark Knight Rises. We are totally going to lose our hip new comic book movie crowd. Very cool. 
all our credibility down the toilet. I just know when we get the studio, you're going to make me open up a loot crate, and it's just going to be full of Bane and his stupid jacket. Shh, don't ruin the surprise, Chris. <laughs> no, but honestly, like, in the moment, I was just, every single thing they did, like, I can look back and see, like, there are scenes that are so emotionally manipulative that if it was any other movie, I'd do that dice roll, jerking off hand motion next to whoever was sitting next to me, but I was just locked in at 100% and I fear if whenever I watch it again I'm not going to be able to get all those plot holes out of my mind and it's just going to ruin the experience for me I am actively dreading rewatching this movie that I thought was one of the best of the year when I walked out of the theater I think what always helps in this sort of thing is you don't have to make like a physical list but to go through the movie and say I really like this, I really like this, I really like this I don't think you're going to come away with this saying it's a bad movie there's no way you no. could like a movie that much. Because, again, like, everyone kept telling me that Dark Knight Rises, yeah, it's a bad movie. It's it's badly written, and Catwoman's in it. What's she doing there? It's like, I like Catwoman in that movie, and I like the writing, and I, I like the way it's set up, and I, I like a whole lot about that movie. There are plot holes, yeah, and I, I guess uh, the the uh, excision of Bane, I guess, was uh, hasty and <laughs> inappropriate. But I... I really don't care that much. I still have a lot of fun watching that movie, and the the Dark Knight trilogy is still one of the best ever made. There was something you had said about the uh, War slash Rise slash Dawn of Planet of the Apes movies. I don't even know what people call that. Uh, there should be a name for that sort of thing. Where you called it uh, one of the best trilogies of the past, what, two decades? And... I think I would agree. I think it's a top three trilogy. Obviously, number one's going to be Lord of the Rings. Having seen none of them, you're willing to agree. Uh, because there's only two other good trilogies in the last 20 years. That's exactly what I was I was about <laughs> to say. What if, what else did you think I could possibly put up there? Let, let me tell you what. Let, let's, let's go ahead. Let's, let's go ahead and Google this. It's like best film trilogies. It's Lord of the Rings and Batman for you, isn't yeah, it? it? Yeah, it's it's Lord of the Rings and Batman. What else could it possibly be? I mean, be? oh no, if wait. If Spider-Man there's... 3 hadn't have happened, we could we could have that conversation. Oh, I'll hide you. You could have the conversation. I haven't seen Spider-Man 2 yet. Uh, hmm, God, that's weird. You. All these trilogies are from a while ago. Oh, oh, we haven't well, talked about Well, The Hangover, about... definitely. No, don't talk about that. Oh, what about <laughs> Toy Story? Actually, that Fuck. that's open for debate. Hmm. Yeah, I probably should have Googled trilogies before saying that, but <laughs> Uh, what about the, I was I was at a red light while driving home from the movie. I'm not sure what how much research you want from me when I made that the, bold statement. What about the Cornetto trilogy? God damn it! I should just stop saying things. What, what about the Bourne movies? Uh, I mean, no, that, it could all be this. Yeah. It's all the same movie. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what about the Star Wars prequels? All right, so maybe <laughs> top ten. <laughs> Oh, what about the uh, the Vengeance trilogy? Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance and Old Boy? They're Korean movies, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> you didn't even give me a chance to make a joke answer. I know. <laughs> you just scoffed me. You wouldn't get it, you fucking plague me. What about the Iron Man trilogy? What about the X-Men trilogy? <laughs> no. And no. There's also the Swedish version of uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh... I don't watch movies with subtitles. Yeah, I Just know kidding, you it's don't. nothing but subtitles and apes. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, they all like talk in sign language all the time. Here's another trilogy for you. Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3. I mean, it's a quadrilogy now, Chris. It doesn't count. Oh, well, never mind. How dare and you? You would know more about that garbage than I would. You Look, of course, I'm not just going to let you get away with it. How could we possibly forget about Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3? try as i might <laughs> so those uh that's that's planet of the apes how does planet of the apes hold up is it a worthy successor to the 1968 charlton heston version well if you want to know where it ranks in the franchise there's about four sequels is it I four sequels so. to that version and they're so all awful i haven't seen any of them so i'm just gonna take your word on it they're all garbage the 2001 version is garbage like, even if War doesn't hold up, and at best it's like a solid three-star movie, that still puts it in the top five Apes movies, so... You know, you could yeah. do worse than that. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any sort of qualm with that. I think that's a decent listing. And one of the things that made me think about uh, Planet of the Apes is that the 2001 version is... It's, it's bad, but it's not so horrendous. 
I think what it did is it sort of cleared the path. It made it so, okay, it was bad enough that you can't just remake Planet of the Apes. You saw what happened to the Tim Burton version. But it did clear a path that maybe we could go somewhere else with it. A prequel? I kind of like that idea. We don't need meaningless remakes. We can we can do other stuff with a property. That's one of the things, is whenever people complain about remakes, and I'm one of the people who does it more than anyone else, all I gotta think about is like, sequels are okay too. And oh god, another sequel. It's like they're making a sequel to Bridget Jones' Diary. But the sequel to Mad Max, that was great. So I'm in favor of that, and I'm in favor of these prequels too. I'm I'm going to see them. I'm I'm excited. I think I'm going to have a good time. See, most of the time, as soon as I read the word prequel series, especially like with Alien, my yeah. eyes just roll back in my head. But when you have a solid couple thousand years of gap between them, you know, that's fine by me. There's a lot of time to work with. Right. Well, Parker, the ball's in your court now. Unluckily for you, there are a ton of really great movies out. There's Baby Driver, there's the new Spider-Man movie, and there's Dunkirk, the new Christopher Nolan movie. Look, I'll defend Christopher Nolan at any possible cost. I've already made that clear by defending Dark Knight Rises. Dunkirk, man, it looks like one of the best war movies ever made. It's based on a true story. I heard it's sparse on dialogue. It's not even that long. Usually these war movies are like really long, but this one... This one looks like it's going to be really special. So which one of the big three are you going to grant me this time? Dunkirk may be sparse on dialogue, but the Emoji Movie will not be sparse on laughs. God, why do you do the... Well, Jimmy Blyderman again, the pub where I was born. He played it from the night time to the pace of early morn. He served the souls of psychos and the men who had the horn. And they all left very happy in the morning. But Jimmy Place in this world of ours Pretty other man brought Starman's decks And he had too many pairs So I sat to see the grieving of the people that I'm leaving And he took their off for God knows in the morning We walked into the station in the rain We kissed him as we put him on the train And we sang him a song The time's long gone Now we knew that we'd be seeing him again But it's sad to say I must be on my way Sally McLennan